Uh, this morning, uh, as he mentioned to you, uh, I am going to be preaching from Exodus chapter 18 as we continue in our series, series uh, in Exodus Free at Last. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, so listen to the word of the Lord. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of uh, the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. In the name of the other, Eliezer, uh, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. When he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering, sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with, his, with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing, for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from, uh, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And then let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they should, shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. Any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, 
and he went away to his own country. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as each of us now sits under the authority of your word, would you speak to us? Would you do that work through your word by the power of your spirit? Would you transform us? Would you renew our hearts and minds? Would you shape us, Lord, that more and more we would be the people that you're calling us to be? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. While God's justice is most certainly bound up in his nature as holy and righteous, it is also true that the execution of his justice centers on God's concern for the well-being of his world, and especially those in this world who are deprived of it. Read the scriptures, and you will hear God repeatedly proclaimed as the God who executes justice on behalf of the oppressed of the earth. Over and over again, you will hear him proclaimed as the God who shows special concern for the well-being of those whom human systems of power often overlook, discount, disregard, mistreat. Indeed, when Moses and Jethro discussed together the acts of God, Uh, the acts of God on Israel's behalf, Jethro speaks to God having delivered his people out of the hand of of the Egyptians. And the hand, of course, in this statement represents the power of Egypt, the power used to keep Israel trapped in slavery through prejudice and policy, military might. But God, seeing the injustice of his people, moved by their misery, moved by their miserable state, and he raises his hand in judgment over Egypt, setting his people free by delivering them out of the hand of Egypt, which was too powerful for them to break on their own. And in breaking Egypt's power, others who were trapped under that unjust power, including Egyptians, are delivered with Israel, as Exodus 12 and 38 indicates. And they will, as strangers and foreigners, become those whom Israel is commanded to treat justly. And as if this deliverance was not enough, God has continued to show his concern for his people's well-being by providing for them in the wilderness, delivering them from the unprovoked attack by the Amalekites. And God's concern for the well-being of his world and of his people in particular has been on display. It continues to show itself even down to the reunion of Moses with his family. When we last left Moses, Zipporah, when we last left Moses and Zipporah, things were tense. And we know that from this text that at some point Moses sent Zipporah and his two sons home to live with his father-in-law, Jethro. And while we may speculate as to Moses' reasons, none are given. What we do know is that they were not divorced, as the text before us also indicates, since Zipporah is still referred to as Moses' wife. But why does Moses give us this window into his own family dynamics? I believe that Moses gives us this window into his family dynamics as a picture of God's concern for the well-being of his people. Not only are we shown this reunion between Moses 
and his family, but we are also reminded in the reunion of the names of his sons. Gershom, for I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And Eliezer, the God of my father, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Gershom and Eliezer were a reminder that God had been faithful to Moses when he had to flee Egypt on the threat of death from Pharaoh for killing an Egyptian. God had taken care of him in a foreign land and had given him a family there and had provided for him there. And not only were these boys a reminder of God's concern for the well-being of Moses, but they were also now a reminder of the faithfulness of God to the whole community of the people of Israel, a community who had been rescued by God from the hand of the Egyptians and cared for along their journey in the wilderness. What Moses is showing us is the basis upon which God's judicial system is going to be established within the community of his people, beginning in verse 13. And that basis, that basis of this judicial system that God is about to put into place, the basis of it is God's concern for the well-being of his people. God executes justice because he cares. We'll say that again. God executes justice because he cares. He cares about people trapped in oppression. He cares about disputes between spouses. He cares about disputes between parents and their children. He cares about disputes between neighbors. He cares about people's possessions being stolen. He cares about people's labor being stolen. He cares about people's lives being stolen. He cares about uh, 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 people being abused and taken advantage of. He cares about ethnic and racial disputes. He cares about all of these things. God cares about all of those things that disturb the peace and well-being of his community, the community of his people. And we learn from the rest of the scriptures that he cares about it cares about it in his world as well. And where we find failure, where we find failure in human judicial systems, we often find, we often find alongside that failure a genuine, a lack of genuine concern for the well-being of others. Instead, what we find is selfishness and a system of rules designed primarily to protect that selfishness. But God's justice is not that way. God's justice proceeds from a real concern for the well-being of his image bearers. And this concern, brothers and sisters, must be reflected in our relationships within the covenant community, especially since it is among us that God has covenanted to display the glory of his salvation. If we can't treat each other justly, out of a genuine concern for each other's well-being, then how in the world do we expect the world to do so? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And so before we look, at, before we look out at the world and complain about how rotten it is becoming or how dark it is becoming, we might, we might wanna make sure that our saltiness and our luminosity hasn't diminished by virtue of our mistreatment of each other. The system 
that Jethro recommends to Moses is instructive for us, not just in its structural dynamics, but in what it teaches us about what promotes just relationships in the household of God. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at this system that Jethro puts in, or, or advises Moses, I should say, to put into place. Look at this system and what it teaches us about just relationships in the household of God. First of all, just relationships center on the Word of God. They center on the Word of God. When Jethro sees Moses sitting from morning till evening to judge disputes within the community, he recognizes this is not a good system. He recognizes that Moses' practice will quickly wear him and the people out. And so he suggests to Moses a better way of going about his task. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, the principle that's embedded in Jethro's instruction. For now, what I want to impress upon you is Moses' reason, the reason Moses gives to Jethro for why he is doing what he's doing. He says to Jethro, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Jethro then responds by saying, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. What I want you to notice uh, in this exchange is that although Jethro is going to give Moses a better system for administrating God's justice among his people, at the heart of that system will remain a commitment to passing along the laws of God, passing along the teaching of God of how to walk in his ways. What I'm saying is that at the heart of just relationships in the community will continue to be not what thus saith someone else, but rather what thus saith the Lord. God's Word, then, will remain at the center of how God's people treat each other because at the end of the day, what He says about how we treat each other is what matters. Amen, people of God. I want to encourage you today that because God cares about the well-being of His covenant community and His world, He has a lot to say about how we treat each other. Indeed, even before the people received the law of God at Mount Sinai, God, God has already, was already speaking His Word to them, teaching them how to live in community with Him and with one another. He was, in fact, preparing them for the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and for the instructions that would flow out of that law to govern every aspect of their lives. When the people were, were coming to Moses with their disputes, they were coming to hear what God had to say, to learn from him what, was, what, what, what the rules were to govern their relationships with him and with each other. And to the degree that peace is flourishing in our churches is the degree to which we are seeking by the Spirit to walk in God's law, to walk in his ways. No, the law is not a means through which we become right with God. Jesus is. But the law remains a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How I treat my spouse, 
how I treat my children, my neighbor, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the ethnic other, the political other, is taught in principle in God's word. And so when disputes and divisions are increasing among us, it's not because God has nothing to say to us in those places. It's rather because we have chosen to listen to other voices other than his. Those voices that tell us that the only well-being that matters is our own. But at this point, Israel was doing the right thing in coming to Moses with their disputes, not to hear what thus saith Moses, but to hear what thus saith the Lord. In the same way that Israel sought God's answers to the disputes they were experiencing in their relationships with each other, so must we be driven in our disputes by a desire to know and to put God's teachings into practice. And in saying this, I'm not suggesting that there is not wisdom and counsel in what we sometimes refer to as the secular world. <laughs> the world outside the church. Jethro is a Midianite priest. He's a Midianite priest. And yet even he encourages Moses to receive his counsel only in so much as it measures up to what the Lord says and what the Lord would have him to do. And so as we press into our relational difficulties, as we look to folk around us for help and counsel, we should be prayerful, reflective of the truths of the scriptures to know that the directions we are to take are in keeping with God's will and not our own. Amen, God has given us pastors. Amen, he has given us elders. Amen, he has given us teachers. Amen, he has given us counselors. But he's also given us his word. I've referenced this passage before, but I will again hear because now, I, I will again hear because now that we have the word of God, we should have the same attitude as the Bereans. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I hope I'm a good pastor. I hope the counsel I give you is good. But I hope you don't just look to me. I hope you look to the word of God. I hope you measure the things that I say to you by whether or not they are in keeping with the word of God, whether or not they are the things that thus saith the Lord. And so you should know the word of God so you can know whether or not the stuff I'm saying is actually in keeping with that word. Amen, people of God. Just relationships center on the word of God. But just relationships are also promoted through the sharing of power through the sharing of power. In addition to the central role that God's word plays in the building of just relationships in the church, God also teaches Moses through Jethro's advice that it is a shared responsibility. Jethro makes it clear in verses 19 and 20 that his intention is not to undermine the special role God has given to Moses as leader, as prophet, as mediator of God's will to his people. He even encourages Moses to seek God's face as to whether the counsel he is giving is right. This is what is behind the phrase, God God be with you. But as Jethro implies in his advice to Moses, the special call, call given to him did not imply that God intended for him to bear the burden alone of administering God's laws to his people, of helping them to walk in right relationships with each other. God intended 
that the well-being of his people in walking in right relationships with each other would include faithful leaders among the people, those who fear God, those who were trustworthy and not given to self-interest but to the interests of the people of God. And the point embedded in this is that God's wisdom was not resident in Moses alone but in others in the community. So just as God was now speaking to Moses through the advice of his father-in-law Jethro, so he would be at work in these men whom Moses was to appoint to help in resolving disputes among God's people. And don't miss this, for the, for the one through whom God was speaking was not an Israelite. He was a Midianite. That is, God was speaking through a brother from another culture, which is certainly an indication that this wisdom was not resident in ethnic Israelites only. And since God had already told Moses that any foreigner who attached themselves to the covenant people were to be treated like natives of the land, this certainly would mean that those appointed to help in leading and shepherding God's people would include folk from other cultures, people who were also created in God's image, people in whom God would also be at work by His Spirit to share in the responsibility of helping to build up the body and pursuing the well-being of the community through helping folks settle their disputes with one another. Remember that when Israel went up from Israel, a mixed multitude went up with them. That is, Israel did not go up from Egypt by themselves. They went up with people groups who were also, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, afflicted in Egypt. Because when God delivered Israel, those folks said, we're going with them. This almost certainly would suggest that some of the disputes that were going on were cross-cultural disputes. How important then to have those on the team who understood something about how to resolve those disputes? I'm just camping out on one aspect of this shared responsibility But the overall point of the text is that Moses was not meant to do this alone. He wasn't meant to work to administrate justice within the community on his own. Instead, he was to appoint leaders to help with the work, to delegate the authority in in that way to others, trusting that God would be at work through them as well. Of course, the basis of our own system of governments, Presbyterians, is rooted in this principle. I am glad that the shepherding of this body under Christ does not rest on my shoulders alone. And you should be too. Just like Moses' arms got tired trying to hold up the staff of God to secure Israel's victory, so any any one of us alone would be insufficient to guard the well-being of God's people. We need all the elders. We need all the deacons. We need all of those they have appointed to help in leading us in this body. Amen, people of God. No single one of your elders or leaders has all the spiritual wisdom or all the spiritual knowledge or insight to lead you alone, even if we are naive enough to think that we do. And on top of that, we too are flawed human beings. Even when we do our best, sometimes it falls short of what we should do and what we should be. I offer that not as an excuse, but as a reminder 
that God in his wisdom has embedded his authority to walk alongside of you, to help you walk in peace in a plurality of shepherds, shepherds whom Peter implores. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. New City, I pray that this is how you encounter us as your session, that this is what we are growing into together as we lead you. For this is the nature of true authority in the church. It is the authority of servants whose job it is to help you walk in faithfulness to Christ in your relationships with each other. Amen, people of God. Just relationships center on the word of God. They are promoted through the sharing of power and they enable the community to endure. In verse 23, Jethro tells Moses, if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. When relationships among God's people are frayed, the peace of the whole community is disturbed. Say that again. When relationships, when relationships among God's people are frayed, the peace of the whole community is disturbed. While everyone in the community wasn't beefing, use that word if y'all don't know what that means, if everybody in the community wasn't fighting, translation. While everyone in the community wasn't fighting with each other, the impact was being felt throughout the community. Jethro's advice, therefore, wasn't just about the peace of the parties that were in conflict, but the peace of the whole community. And you all know how this works. Folk in the church are disputing. People start taking sides, not based on right or wrong, but on affinity. And what was a minor dispute becomes a major one. Or a major dispute becomes even more major because rather than being motivated by justice, folk are motivated by selfish ambition getting even, protecting their power and status, or the like. And so, in addition to a concern for keeping Moses from wearing himself out, trying to judge every case, Jethro's advice about appointing leaders to help with the task was also rooted in not letting cases go too long without being addressed, so that division would not spread throughout the body. Moses, was, Moses would be able to endure but the peace of the body would also be protected. As these additional leaders walked alongside folk in their disputes, the Apostle Paul, recognizing the danger to the body of an unresolved dispute between two sisters in the faith, tells the church at Philippi, I entreat you, Odia, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. While pastors and elders are especially called to shepherd God's people through conflict, 
exercising spiritual discipline when necessary, the call to help the body live in peace is a responsibility shared by us all. Indeed, if we are doing our job well as pastors and elders, then it means in part that we're teaching you how to live at peace with each other and helping you to help each other live at peace with each other. And if we learn to do this well in the house of God, then we just might, then we just might be able to be a voice to the world to encourage our neighbors to do the same. We cannot be a light to the nations with our words alone. If ethnic division reigns among us, it will be difficult for the world to hear our testimony. If sexual abuse and misconduct reign among us, it will be difficult for the world to hear our testimony. If the abuse of power reigns among us, it will be difficult for the world to hear our testimony. But if we are dealing with our issues in the local and regional and national church, then we have a basis upon which to lift our voices to the world, calling for them to be faithful and obedient to the God of justice who works peace for all those who hope in him. Martin Luther King Jr. was right when he said, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And for us as Christians, the pursuit of that reality starts right here in the household of God. If we can't settle our disputes, how in the world are we going to go and ask somebody else to settle theirs? Amen, people of God. I'm not telling anybody in here anything you probably don't already know. Division is wearying. It can be easy to look at Moses' practice and realize how quickly he would have worn out physically, just as the practice of hearing disputes from morning to evening would have been exhausting. Add to this the emotional, spiritual, psychological toll of hearing all kinds of disputes, major, minor, and you get the picture. Just think how hard it is to read the news for just a few moments and hear about all the division, the violence that is going, play, going around around us. But I just want you to know this, this morning. God does not want you to burn out. Nor does he want his people corporately to burn out. That's what we see in what God does here through Jethro's counsel. He demonstrates yet again how profoundly committed he is to helping his people persevere. So Jethro tells Moses something that all of us need to embrace. If you do this, God will direct you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. Did you hear it? If you do this, God will direct you. In other words, God will give you and all those with you wisdom, wisdom that you need so that you will be able to make wise decisions, lead his people through the conflicts toward the peace of God. The promise is not that disputes won't break out. They will. 
all the time. The question is whether or not we're going to engage those things in the way that the Lord calls us to. The promise is that he will direct us through them toward what makes for peace if we are willing to follow him. Amen, people of God. So God's concern for our well-being, shown in his commitment to promoting just relationships within the community of his people. Jethro's advice to Moses showed itself, showed itself to in fact be advice from the Lord, advice rooted in enabling God's people to live at peace with one another. Through the system God gives to Moses, we learn that just relationships center on the Word of God, that they are promoted through the sharing of power, that they enable the prayers that the Lord Jesus Christ would give us power in the church to live at peace with one another, trusting those He has given us to shepherd us, to help us in this pursuit, and helping each other as members of the body in this pursuit to the glory of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we fail, here's the promise we have in God, that we can go to him and repent, confess our sins. And what does the Bible say? Do you know the word of God? What does it say? You tell me. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to do what? and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit that you would indeed help us to live at peace with one another. You have delivered us from our greatest enemy. You delivered Israel from Egypt. (laughs) You've delivered us from our greatest enemy, which is sin and the wages of that sin, which is death. We are set free because of what Christ did for us. We are set free because of what Christ did for us. Help us, Lord God, to walk in the peace that you have won for us. Help us to walk in that peace in all of our relationships that you might receive the glory and the honor and the praise and that it might be true what you have said. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Not just because our theology is tight. Not just because our governmental structure is tight. (laughs) But all men will know that we are your disciples by the love we have for one another. So teach us how to walk in that love, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.